All right, so in this class, tonight we're going to minister from John chapter 14 and 15, and we're still going through the Christian survival kit. All of these things that we've talked about, any one of these points that we've talked about, if you were to just take that truth and follow it to its logical conclusion, pursue it to the maximum, I guarantee you it would cause you to overcome in a crisis situation. So this is why I speak about all of this stuff as like a Christian survival kit. If you come into a crisis... What do you do? You pull out John 14, 15, and 16, and these are the instructions that Jesus gave His disciples the night before the greatest trial they would ever experience in their life. And He said in John 16, 1, I've said these things so that you won't be offended. And being offended is where you get the word stolen from you. John chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 4, in the parable of the sower sowing the seed. And so anyway, we've talked about all of these things, and if you were to just follow these through, I guarantee you this will grant you success in a crisis situation. So it's this simple, but it's probably not easy. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do, not to let your emotions run away with you. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do to stay focused on eternal things instead of getting occupied with the temporal. It's hard to sit there and know what you've got and evaluate things spiritually instead of carnally, to operate in the Holy Spirit, to get out of self-centeredness. All of these things, it's this simple, but it's the hardest thing you'll ever do to sit there and discipline your flesh and walk in the Spirit instead of walking in the flesh. So anyway, this is, this is good stuff. I like it. Amen. So the last thing we talked about was this deal on self-centeredness. In verse 28, John 14, 28, He says, You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice, because I said I go to my Father, for my Father is greater than I. And from that, that's where I was talking about self-centeredness. In verse 29, he says, And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Now this isn't one of my teachings in the 16-tape set that I've got on um, Christian Survival Kit, but you could make another major point out of this. That you know what, if you would look at prophecy and how God foretold things and how it's come to pass, it would be a huge faith builder. Huge faith builder. And I don't think that some of us have really mined that for all it's worth. I remember one time when I was first getting started, this is back when I was 18 years old, and I was so fanatical that everybody was criticizing me. And so, you know, one time I just sat down and thought, how do I know that the Bible really is true? How do I know that I'm doing these things? And for about a week, I entertained things like that because I didn't want to be believing a lie. And uh, I prayed and fasted that whole week and thought, God, how do I know that what I'm doing is really the truth? And you know, the number one thing probably that gave me an assurance is I went back to the, I think there's 300 and. 300 plus, 360 something prophecies about Jesus alone that every one of them came to pass down to the most minute detail that instead of, they they parted his garments and ripped things in two, but when it came to his cloak, it was woven in one piece. It didn't have a seam in it. And so instead of dividing that, they cast lots over it. And that was all prophesied. It says, they parted my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. And I mean, down to the most minute detail, they pierced everybody else and broke their legs so that they couldn't lift themselves up and they'd suffocate. But it says, not one bone shall be broken. And totally contrary to the way they did it, Jesus was pierced with a spear in his side, but they didn't break his bones. Every detail, I mean the smallest detail, It says in Isaiah 53 that he was numbered with the transgressors in his death. You go back and look at prophecy and 
you know, I actually uh, was a math major and I took probabilities and I ran out the probabilities of 300 and something prophecies concerning one man coming to pass and not a single one of them failing to happen and everyone happened. And you know what? It's astronomical. Anything beyond 10, I mean, uh, yeah, 10 to the 12th power is mathematically impossible. I mean, it's statistically improbable. They have a law of probability that they use in math, and anything beyond 10 to the 12th power is statistically, mathematically impossible. Uh, Evolution is 10 to the 2 billionth something power. It is just absolutely off the charts. The chances of Jesus fulfilling all of the prophecies are... I mean, if you just study those things and think about it, you know what it does? It builds faith. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. I've said these things to you. I've prophesied what's going to happen so that after it happens and you see all of these things fulfilled, you may believe. Jesus is saying prophecy is a faith builder. Man, it's, if you need your faith built, go back and study the fulfillment of prophecy. Man, that's powerful. You know, in my Life for Today study Bible, I've got one page where I think I listed uh, 40-something prophecies concerning Jesus' death alone, just His crucifixion on one page. And I've got all of them listed in the Old Testament verses or New Testament fulfillment. Man, you ought to go back and study those. And just those few prophecies, 30 or 40, whatever it was that I listed, it builds your faith. So you could make a whole other point out of this. But again, when you're in a crisis situation and you're struggling in faith, go back to prophecy. Look and see how it's fulfilled. Go back to the prophecy that God may have given you, as I told you about my son being raised from the dead. Prophecy is what convinced me that, you know what, he was going to come back because there were prophecies about him that I knew were from God and they didn't say that this is what I want to happen. It said this is what will happen. This boy will do this and he hadn't fulfilled them. And so, you know what, Uh, it's like the scripture says that by these prophecies that went before on you, you can war a good warfare. Prophecy is a great faith builder. I tell you, it's powerful. So we can make a whole teaching out of that. I just threw that in. In verse 30, it says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Now here's another major point that I was saying that you need to do in a crisis situation. What do you do when a crisis hits? Well, Jesus had listed, we've already been through seven things. This is the eighth thing that he lists. And you know what he said? He says, I'm not going to say much from now on because Satan is coming and he's desired to have me. And so I'm not going to say much. What does him talking have to do with the devil coming? Oh man, if you, if you understand what the scriptures teach about your words, you know the Bible says in Psalms, or Proverbs chapter 6, you are snared by the words of your mouth. The word snare here is talking about a trap. Did you know that your words can entangle you? You can be destroyed by your own words. And a passage of scripture that I've used often is Proverbs 18.21. says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Your words have power for life and for death. And you know, in, again, 20-something years ago in the beginning, of, or 30 years ago I guess now, in the beginning of the charismatic movement, there was such a major push on how important your words are that people got way weird with it. 
And somebody would say, oh, that tickled me to death. And people would just jump back. You're going to die because you said you've you've been tickled to death. And they got so weird with it that, you know, they got so much criticism and people saw the abuse of it. And so they threw out the baby with the bath water and they just started saying, you know what, that was extreme. It's not true. But it is true. The reason you don't fall over dead when you say something tickled me to death or that scared me to death is because it says in Romans chapter 10, you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's the combination of the two. The reason people don't fall over dead when they say this tickles me to death or scares me to death is because they're using it as an expression, a hyperbole, and they aren't really believing it. But does that mean then that it has no power? No, because again, death and life or in the power of the tongue. I don't believe that you could put that in the life category by any stretch of the imagination. It is negative. And if you keep speaking death and saying all of the time, this tickles me to death, it scares me to death, you know what? It's, it may not, you may not fall over dead right then, but you are releasing a negative force. You are releasing death, and you shouldn't be saying things like that. You shouldn't be talking negative. You shouldn't be speaking out your fears. You shouldn't be talking about how you feel. And Jesus here is saying that, you know what, he knows that now it's right down to the wire and Satan has come and Satan is going to make his strongest push that he had ever made in Jesus' physical life here on this earth to destroy him. And Jesus said, I know that my enemy's coming and so you know what, I'm not going to be saying much. There's many scriptures that talk about, you know, that a, a fool will utter whatever he thinks and whatever comes to mind, but a wise man will keep it in to afterwards. Even a fool, if he keeps his mouth shut, will be considered wise. All of those are out of the book of Proverbs, and it talks about... David said this, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the doors of my lips. Uh, James chapter 3. Let me use some of these New Testament verses on this. In James chapter 3... Verse 1, he says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. This is Old Testament or Old English verbiage, and some of us just skip through this and don't think about it. But what he's talking about is, is don't try and master everything. You know what? You cannot do everything. There's so much involved in the Christian life. You can't remember every detail Every single thing. Basically, he's saying, don't try and master it all. Just concentrate on your words, is what he goes on to say in these verses. All the rest of this chapter is talking about the words that you speak. And so he's just, the next verse says, For in many things we offend all, or we all offend in some area, but if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. And he starts talking about the importance of words. And so what he's saying right here is, you know what, there's a million things that you need to do in the Christian life to remember. But if you could just get to where you speak the right thing, a man that can master his tongue has mastered his flesh, has mastered his faith, has mastered his unbelief, has mastered his fears. If you get to where you can control your words and you don't say things contrary to what you know God's Word says then you know what? You've, you've had to deal with your flesh. You've had to deal with fear. You've had to deal with unbelief. You've dealt with everything else. Just think about that one thing. You know, it's similar to when I used to teach people how to ride a horse, and I take these exact verses. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I've actually taken these verses here in James chapter 3 and taught people how to ride a horse that have never ridden a horse before. Don Crow's son, who is now 30-something years old, 
I remember when he was seven years old, came out to ride my horses. And he was only seven years old. My horses were green broke. They were wild. And I only rode them once every month or once every two months. And so they weren't what you'd consider a trail horse. They were kind of wild. And Stephen wanted to ride that horse. He was seven years old. And these were wild horses. And um, he wanted to ride, but he says, I'm not sure I can. And I said, I can, I can guarantee you, if you will do what I tell you, you can ride that horse. And so I took these verses. It's, verse 3, it says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. You know what that is? God made a horse so that a horse can't do anything without its head. A horse cannot run that direction with its head turned this direction. It is physically impossible. They just can't do it. I don't know why that is, but they can't do it. So you know what? If a horse starts to run away with you, you can use that bit, but if they're uh, smooth mouth and they no longer are responding to that bit, all you got to do is take one rein and turn that horse's head back this direction. And you know what that horse will do is turn in a circle and stop. A horse cannot run that direction with its head this direction. If you understand that, you can keep a horse from running away with you. A horse cannot rear up unless it throws its head up first. So if you have a horse that tends to rear up on you and do things, all you have to do is put a tie down on it. If it can't raise its head, it is impossible for that horse to raise up. A horse can't fall down on the ground. That could trip, but I mean it won't get down on the ground unless it puts its head down first. I don't know if you've ever observed a horse, but to get down on its knees, I had a horse that used to try and get down and roll with me. And all you have to do is just pay attention. And if that horse starts to put its head down, jerk its head up. And I guarantee you that horse cannot get down on the ground unless it trips. A horse that is down on the ground, you could have a 2,000 pound Clydesdale horse that is 10 times stronger than you. And if it's laying on the ground, all you got to do is put your foot on its head and you can hold that 2,000 pound horse on the ground because a horse cannot get up unless it throws its head. If you ever watch one, they will throw their head first. A horse is totally controlled by its head. So what you do is put a bit in that mouth that puts pressure on the roof of their mouth or they have different hackmores that, that will pinch its nose and by controlling its head and turning its head, you can make a horse do anything you want to do. If you understand that, you can ride a horse. Now, it could still buck, and it could give you some trouble. I mean, I'm not saying that you'll ride it perfectly, but you can control a horse, and you can keep a horse from doing you any damage based on this scripture. Amen? So why did I get off on that? I was talking about Stephen Crow came out to ride the horses, and I taught him those things. Seven years old on a basically half-broke horse, he rode for two hours, never had a problem. And that horse did what he wanted to. And then a 25-year-old kid that had just gotten married came out. And he, they crossed each other's path. They were both there at the same time. Stephen and, and Don were leaving and this other kid was coming. And he had his parents with him and his new wife. And I started to give him instruction. But, of course, he knew it all. And he wanted to impress his new wife. And, oh, I don't need any of that. I can ride a horse. So here's a 25-year-old guy that within 10 minutes, here comes my horse, shoom, like that. And he's just screaming. The reins are down on the, floor, on the ground. And the horse comes up to a fence and stops and throws him right into a barbed wire fence. And he goes to the hospital within 10 minutes of a 7-year-old boy riding that same horse for two hours and never having a problem. Now see, there's a lot of things that you need to know about a horse. But if you just understand... 
that it can't do anything without its head. Did you know you can absolutely control a horse? And there's a lot of things that you need to understand about yourself, but if you just understood the power of words and got to where you spoke what the Word says, did you know that everything that everything else that you need to know you would deal with it and you can basically overcome it if you could just unmaster your words? And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm, I'm aware that Satan is coming physically, in person. He's here to fight me. And because of that, I'm not going to be saying much. Because in many things, we offend all, is what it says. When you use a lot of words, you know what? You're opening yourself up to a lot of failure. You need to make sure that when you speak, you're speaking correctly. You need to get to where you don't speak vain words, where you don't... Just say things off the cuff. You need to think about what you say and say what you mean and mean what you say. If a person would just get to where they control their mouth, you'd find out that it'd be like a horse. It'll, that'll make your whole body. That'll make everything else begin to work. Now, there has to be a balance here because, again, I don't know anybody who does this nowadays. But back when this used to be taught on a lot, and I mean you could go to nearly any church service and somebody was talking about the importance of your words. Back in those days, there were people that learned and heard what the right things to say were, and they would never say, this tickles me to death. They would never confess, I'm afraid. They would never say, I'm sick. They would watch their words, but they didn't believe it in their heart. In their heart. They believe something else. And so basically they were just hypocrites. They learned how to parrot something. But you know, a parrot can say, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed, and that's not going to get a bird healed. You've got to believe it with your heart. You've got to do more than just say the words. You've got to get to where you believe it with your heart. So it's a combination of the two. So you must understand that it's not just saying the words, but if you say those words and mean it from your heart, then I guarantee you, you have reached a place of maturity to where you're able to bridle your whole body and things are able to work. And on the other hand, if you fly off the handle and if somebody does something to you and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind and you let out a profanity, if you hit your hand with the hammer, God doesn't hate you. That doesn't mean you're a terrible person. But you know what it means? It means that that's what's in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. I can guarantee you, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, I go, thank you, Jesus. And man, that'll be the first thing out of my mouth because that's what's on the inside of me. When I get hurt and when something happens, I always, I mean, if you squeeze me, the word's going to come out of me because that's what's in my heart. And it, I don't have to worry about, oh, I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. You know what? If you're saying it, it's because that's what's in your heart. Some of you may not like that, and you may say, oh, no, 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 you just don't understand. Well, you just don't understand. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If somebody offends you and says something about you, and if the first thing that comes out is you're going to slash them back, you're going to hurt them, you know what that indicates? That indicates the position of your heart. Your heart's bitter. There's anger on the inside of you. You haven't given all of that to the Lord. And again, none of this is said to condemn you. But it's said to show you, you know, your words are like a window into your soul. What do you talk about? If people sit around and talk about the Lord, are you one that's silent because, you know, you just aren't quite there and you don't understand those kind of things? But they start talking about football, they talk about racing, they talk about 
the soaps, they talk about whatever, and all of a sudden you come alive, you know what? That's a great indication of where you are. What is it that you spend your time talking about? What is it that motivates you? Do you operate in anger? The Bible says the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You can, If I could sit down and listen to you without you knowing that I'm there so that you weren't just saying something for my benefit, but if I could just listen to you talk, if I could tape record everything you say for a day, I guarantee you I could tell you more about you than you would, would know yourself. I can tell you a lot about you by what you say. And you know, the average person doesn't believe that. The average person, oh, well, I, it, was just, it was just a slip of the lip. I didn't mean it. It's because this person did this to me is the reason I respond. We blame it on external, outside sources, or we say it's not that important. I'm telling you, it is that important. Your words are an indication of what you're like on the inside. It's not a perfect indication. You can say things that you don't mean. All of us have done that. But if you take a person and what they say, I can guarantee you your life is going the direction of your dominant speech. You are creating your future. You are creating the environment that you live in by the words that you say. And see all of this, I see all of this in Jesus saying that Satan is coming. The prince of this world is coming. Boy, we're about to enter into combat. And because of that, I'm not going to be saying much. Now think about this. If Jesus, the sinless Son of God, who could have said boo and it would have been Scripture. I mean, anything He said was God speaking. If He had to watch His words, then how much more do you have to watch your words? And especially in a crisis situation, when you are in a situation where somebody has offended you and things have been done wrong to you, boy, you better watch the words that you speak lest you set a trap for yourself or for those people. You can sit there and by criticizing another person, if you are giving strife, whatever you sow, you know, it says you will eat the fruit of your lips, Proverbs 18, 21. And the word terminology there, you eat the fruit of your words. The word fruit is implying that, you know, it's just like you sow a seed and something grows up and then you eat it. You are going to eat the words that you say. Every word that comes out of your mouth, you are going to live. And if you are damning somebody, cursing them, speaking evil of them, you will reap what you sow. And here you are trying to believe God for favor. And, oh God, I want you to prosper me. And if you are cursing someone, speaking bad about them, saying what's going to happen to them, and using your words to damage another person, whether they're a believer or not, you will reap what you've sown. And so here you are praying for favor, and yet by your own words, you're hung by your tongue. Amen. You're hanging yourself. And there's people that don't make this connection. And I, I, could, I could name some names here. I'm not going to do this. Most of you probably wouldn't know these, but I could name some well-known ministers. We had one very well-known minister come to this Bible school. And the very first year of our Bible school, this would be 12 years ago now, he spoke in this Bible school. And I had students come to me and they were upset. And I mean, they were ready to revolt. Why did you let this guy speak? It, everything he was preaching was wrong. And you know, I sat and listened to the guy, and it wasn't what he said that was wrong. 
the students just knew that it wasn't the same as what they were hearing from me and from the other instructors. And so they saw this and they just were ready to rebel and reject his teaching. And I said, you know, I listened to it and he says things differently than I did. But the heart of what he was saying wasn't wrong. It wasn't that he was teaching error. I got up after he left and I told him, you know what you picked up on? This guy's been hurt. And I could go into a lot of explanation, but this guy was justly hurt or unjustly hurt. I mean, he was just in his assessment of the situation. He was hurt. People treated him wrong. Ministers, famous, well-known ministers treated him wrong. And even though he didn't mention that, didn't talk about it, he still had that hurt in his heart. And you know what? His words were communicating that heart and because he was, he just had a little edge on him. He was critical against people who succeeded and basically believed that all of them had to stab somebody in the back to get there. And he would just say things like that. And you could tell that there was a bitterness on the inside of him. And he was bitter. And he was hurt. And I knew the background. They didn't understand why they didn't like it, but they could just pick up on this little edge that he had. And so they were trying to reject him on the basis of what he said. It wasn't what he said. It was the spirit, the attitude that he said it in. And did you know I've known this guy for 20-something years, and to this day, this guy is still hurt. And he wonders why. It seems like people just persecute him. And he can't understand. You know what? It's because he is hurt. He speaks evil and criticizes the people that hurt him. And he is eating the fruit of his own lips. By him speaking against the people that have heard him, he is laying a snare for himself. And I'm sure that this guy just can't understand why it is that he's been hurt so much. I haven't been hurt half as much as he is. And you know one of the reasons? Because I don't sit there and talk about the people that have done me wrong and I'm not bitter and I'm not angry and I'm not talking about it. And you reap what you sow. Some people don't make those connections. And they sit there and why has this happened to me? Why is it? And you know what? You usually don't have to look any further than your own words. And again, it's the heart that your words come from. And so really it's your own heart's what it is. You've got a hurt. You've got a pain somewhere that you haven't totally let God deal with. And you're speaking forth that resentment and that criticism. And you're hurting yourself by doing it. You can't do that. You can't afford it. I had a guy that I led to the Lord... And this guy changed a lot. He had come a long ways, but you know what? He had a long ways to go yet. And I remember I was pastor of the church and I went over to his house one day and I knocked on the door and nobody answered and I knew he was supposed to be home. So I walked around into the backyard and he had a car that he was working on. He was doing upholstery and restoring it. And he got frustrated with that car and he had a two before. And he was just beating that car and cursing it and damning it and saying words to that car that you shouldn't say to anybody. And here I come walking around the corner and he sees me and he throws his two before down and then he says, well, it's just a car. I'm not hurting that car. It doesn't matter what I say to the car. And I told him, I said, Doss, it's not the car that is getting damaged. You speaking those words out of your mouth are setting a snare for yourself and you are going to reap everything that you have. It doesn't matter if you curse a fence post. If you go over here and curse this door, you say things like that out of your mouth, you are going to step in every word that you've ever said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, I believe it's Thursday, Verse 35, right around there, 32. Let me just look this up. I'm trying to get back to James. I'm still talking about the same thing. But look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. 
Verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. Notice, it's not your words that make your heart evil. It's your evil heart that makes your words evil. That's important that you understand that. Or you'll think that you can just fake it and say the right things and change your heart. No, your words are a byproduct of where you are in your heart. So if you find yourself speaking the wrong words, you don't need to just change your confession. You need to change your heart so that your confession can change. Did you have something? Yeah, I did. If, um, we've all done it. Um, you know, we say something nasty or, you know, ungodly, whatever. We can go back and repent of those to yes. get that seed. And Repentance is a greater force than, than this. But it, it can't go unchecked is what I'm trying to get across. You need to deal with it. And so the next verse down here, he says in verse 36, But I say unto you, every idle word that men speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Man, that's nearly scary. Every idle word, everything that comes out of your mouth, every word, not just the big words, not just the important words, Every word that comes out of your mouth, you're going to give an account of. Yes, ma'am. What does it mean, idle words? I've not really thought about that other than I've looked at it from this standpoint. It's not just your words that you believe and feel with all of your heart, but just every little trivial word is the way I interpret that that comes out of your mouth. Everything that you say, you're going to give an account thereof. I haven't thought of it in the sense of idle as being anything other than that. It might be... But I hadn't thought about it, so I couldn't tell you. You know, well, see, that's the way that I take it. In other words, some people think, well, I understand that when I'm angry and said this with the purpose of hurting somebody, that I'm going to have to give an answer for that. And when I say something, you know, over here, these bad things, but then most people see that there's these words that are good, these words that are really bad, but then they see a huge gap in between that are just idle words. And, you know, I didn't mean anything by it. I don't mean it. doesn't matter. The Lord is saying that's not true. You've either got life or death, but not life and death and idle words. You've got life and death. It's either all life or it's death, but it's not this in-between area. Yes, ma'am. I know that we frame our lives by our words, but what's frightening to me is if I'm going to minister to someone, I think it's frightening to think, is this my intellect? Is this my own heart speaking? Or, or is God really telling me to say this to this person? I told my friend the other day, I think ministers should do like the doctors, take a Hippocratic oath to do no harm. Because a lot of times you may think or say that you're well-meaning, but it can be your intellect or your flesh that has you saying all these things to another person under the guise of Christianity or ministering to someone. And really and truly, that's not the right I agree 100%. You can do great damage to someone. I've seen and so you know what? A, a minister is more responsible than most people. And I can't... I can't uh, Diffuse that. That's absolutely true. And you know what? There ought to be a godly fear in a minister that you're representing God and therefore you're even more responsible than a, another person because you're saying, thus saith the Lord. And if it's not, thus saith the Lord, you're in big trouble. So 
Anyway, all of this is to say that, you know what, your words are super important. And that's what he's talking about. He says, don't try and master everything. Just start working on your words. If you believe for healing, don't say anything other than healing. That's really simple. If you're believing for prosperity, start watching what's coming out of your mouth. Are you praying for God to prosper you and then yet somebody says, you know, uh, do you have a Mercedes? And if you say something like, a Mercedes, I'll never drive a Mercedes. Who do you think I am? Your words have just snared you. You are saying, I can't prosper like that. That'll never happen for me. You've just snared yourself by your words. You sit there and talk about, man, those rich folks. You have just excluded yourself from that category. And yet you're believing God to prosper you, and yet you don't even see yourself, and your speech belies what's really in your heart. You've never seen yourself as prosperous. And this doesn't mean that you have to live opulently and waste your money. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just saying you don't see yourself as a prosperous person, and it's evident by the way you speak. If you're one of these that, man, you have to make the garage sales and the blue light specials, not because you're frugal or a good steward, it's because you've got a poverty attitude. You know what? Your attitude and the things that you say about stuff like that, um, you're snaring yourself. You aren't going to break out of that until your words will show you whether you really believe something. You know what? When the Lord told me that I was thinking small and that I was limiting Him by my small thinking, did you know one of the areas that God made that clear to me was because I had a vision on the inside of me and I knew what God had called me to do, but you know what? I was afraid to say it because of what people would say, because of persecution. And I wouldn't speak my vision of what God had really told me to do because, you know what, my heart wasn't right in that area. I was still more moved by people than I was by God. And my lack of boldness to speak what God had told me revealed to me a deficiency in my heart. And man, I had to repent of that and change. Your words are super important. And that's what all of this is saying. You don't have to master everything. Control your mouth, and it's just like controlling a horse. You control their head, the whole body will follow. You get to where you start speaking the right things. Again, it's not your words that turn you about, but your words are a result or an indication, a byproduct of your heart. Your heart, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23, 7. And your words are the clearest indication of what is in your heart. What do you say? You know, I wish somehow or another we could tape ourselves and listen to ourselves. And how much do you talk about yourself versus talking about other people? You know, if you could listen to how much of your arguments or discussion with your mate, whatever you want to call it, is all about, what about me? What about my rights? This, you know, and if you could just analyze it and listen to yourself... You could tell real quick whether you really loved them the way that Christ loved the church and you were willing to lay down your life and die for them or if it's all about you. Listen to yourself in an argument and find out what you're doing. Are you arguing because you're trying to bless that person and help them or is it all about your rights and what about me and I've got rights too? You know, it'll tell you volumes about you. Your words are super important. It's a great way to take your spiritual pulse and find out where you are. Yes, sir. And what about if you're uh, if you're kind of thinking about something and you're ready to rip somebody and you get up to them and the nice things come out of your mouth? That's awesome. 
Some people might think that's hypocritical, but... You know, again, if you went back to my teaching on spirit, soul, and body, your spirit is always in love with the other person. Your spirit is identical to Jesus. Your spirit isn't the part that gets angry. It's your flesh. It's your carnal self. And so some of you might think, but I would be a, I'd be a hypocrite to say that I love you when the truth is. I'd love to slit your throat. Well, it just depends which you consider to be the real you. If you're going by your carnal part that gets angry and hurt, well then, yeah, you're a hypocrite to sit there and say something contrary. But if you see yourself a new person in Christ, and in Christ you've got love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.22, then you're a hypocrite to sit there and say what you feel instead of what who you really are in Christ. It just depends on which is the real you. Are you a spiritual being or are you a carnal being? So when you sit there and say, well, I just can't help it. This is how I feel. You're just running up the white flag and surrendering to I'm carnal. But you know what? I don't do that. Even though I sometimes feel that way, I believe I am a new person in Christ and I am exactly like Jesus. I have love on the inside of me and love is patient and kind. It's long-suffering. It doesn't exalt itself. It doesn't seek its own. And all of those things listed in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And that's who I am. And so I've just learned to start speaking that way. And as I renew my mind, you know what? It gets to where it's less and less effort. And it really is how I feel. I was using this example in school today. But it's like, you know, if that door over there, you you measure the distance from here to that door. And you know what? I'm closer to here than I am to that door. And so it's going to take effort for me to get over to that door. But as I start moving that direction, right now, I'm still closer to there than I am to that door. Right now, I'm still closer to there. But as I keep going, you know, eventually, now I'm closer to this door than I am to over there. And eventually, you can get over here, and I may not have arrived, but I'm closer to this than I was to that. You can start to where, at one time, it's like God... I'm so far removed from really loving people, but you just start speaking who you are in Christ and you start doing these things and heading in that direction. And it may be that, you know, it's, it's just real easy for you to revert back. But you can get to where you start walking with God and after a while you get closer to walking in love than you do to walking in anger. It can be like Enoch. He walked with God for 360 years and he was not because God took him. And basically, I believe what happened, he just walked with God so far that one day God says, you know what, you're closer to my home than you are yours. Why don't you come with me? And he just got translated and taken up. You can get so, you don't ever arrive, but you can leave. And you can get to where you're so close to walking in that you know what, now it's easier for me to love people than it is to get angry at people. It's easier for me to turn the other cheek than it is to strike back and defend myself. You can get that way. And you know, one of the ways that you start that is start watching the words that you speak. He goes on to say in verse 4, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. It's liking your tongue to a rudder on a ship. You can steer your whole life by the words you say. Again, I am not minimizing that it's the heart level that is the real you and that where life comes out. Out of the heart proceed the issues of life. But your words are the number one way that your heart releases itself. And so your words are like the rudder on a ship. Did you know the rudder isn't the power source? That's not what makes it move. The heart is what moves you. But your words are what gives direction 
to that. And you can turn a huge ocean liner with this little tiny rudder. That's the way that your mouth is. Some people, you know, in the natural think, well, that's not near as important as this or this or this or this. But the Bible says that you can steer your whole body. You can turn the whole thing around with your words. If you hate somebody, you know what you can do is start speaking. That I love you. And you may have to do it the first time through gritted teeth. I love you, bless God. But you know what? You start saying those words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you know what? Eventually, you'll hear yourself saying that you love that person and you'll start thinking, you know what? I really do love this person. And you can change your attitude. Words are powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And did you know that you hear yourself better than you hear anybody else? When you start speaking the words, it's better than me speaking the words. Have any of you ever listened to yourself on tape? And have heard yourself speak? And do you sound like you think you sound? You know why that is? You've all heard of your physical ears, but then you have an inner ear. Did you know that you hear yourself with your inner ear, not your outer ear? Your words don't come out of your mouth and you aren't listening to this. You're hearing yourself inside of your head. And when you say something... It just misses one of the stages that you have to go through to process it. It's very close. And when you say something, it'll enter into you. But when you listen to a recording, you're hearing yourself with your outer ear. You're hearing yourself the way other people hear you. But you hear yourself with your inner ear. And so your words have a bigger impact on you. They're closer to your heart than my words are. And nobody's words are going to affect you as much as your words. Well, that's powerful. And so it says in verse 5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Boy, uh, some of you weren't here, but in 2002 when we had the Haman fires, you know, a woman set that fire and just started a little fire. And that thing burned, I think, 140,000 acres in a week or two weeks' time. A little tiny match said 140,000 acres, the largest fire in Colorado's history, was started by a little match. And it's saying that your tongue is like that. Did you know your words can set on fire for good or for bad? You can set yourself on fire for God by your words. You can set yourself in love with other people. You can start speaking the word and you can set good fires or bad fires. You can also uh, start establishing strife and anger by just talking about things. You know, I don't, I've, I've dealt with some things just this last week. There's some things that have happened and people have criticized us and accused us of some things. And uh, it needs to be dealt with. But you know what? There's some of the people here that have just been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And you know what? It's dangerous to just hash over what somebody has done because it's just going to inflame and start something. I will deal with the problem, but I'm not going to beat the thing to death and stay focused on it. If all you do is talk about the negative things and who's criticized you lately and who's done what, did you know it just inflames you and it causes discouragement and depression. It takes your attention off of the Lord. And so there's been times that I've been in meetings this week that I just say, you know what? We've already dealt with that. Let's not hash it over. Let's not keep talking about it. It's over. Forget it. Gone. Done. Your words can set on fire the course of nature. And anyway, all of these scriptures go on to say that we've tamed all of these animals, we've done all of these things, but you know what? No man can tame his tongue. 
You cannot control your tongue by yourself. It takes the supernatural power of God. So if you can use that power, draw on that power and get to where you start speaking the right thing, you know what? You are drawing on the supernatural power of God. Start controlling your words. Say the right things. And and that's what Jesus was talking about. He learned that principle and he wasn't going to speak something contrary to what he was believing. Amen. Let's take a break.